This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. SCP-001, Amani-Ram, Part 1. The Church of the Broken God is one of the most popular and expansive groups of interest in the SCP universe, a religion that worships a broken, mechanical deity and wish to rebuild it by bringing together its anomalous parts. The Church's origins lie in a similar group known as the Mechanites that date back to ancient times, and their conflicts with other notable groups at the time, the Sarkites and the Davites. This SCP-001 proposal takes a fresh look at the Mechanites and these conflicts, in a canon in which this is the first time that the Foundation is learning of them. It's a big, mysterious city, and it's going to take some time to disassemble it. So let's begin. SCP-001 is an extra-dimensional bubble of self-contained reality located in the southern Arabian desert. It's inaccessible to anyone that does not have prior knowledge of its location, meaning that an individual has to have exact knowledge of its geographical position to reach it. Notably, individuals with some sort of artificial implant, from surgical screws to complex prosthetics, appear to have a higher chance in locating and entering the anomaly, with testing showing a success rate of 88% compared to standard personnel's 62%. The reality bubble contains an ancient metropolis partially buried in the sand, with maps and initial sonar testing indicating approximately two-thirds of the city is above ground and largely intact, while the subterranean portion has degraded heavily. The above-ground city contains skyscrapers and buildings up to half a kilometer high, utilizing modern design techniques far beyond those available at the time of construction dated around 2400 BCE. The buildings are fully furnished, and appear to have served residential, commercial, bureaucratic, and various other uses, with the largest and most intricate being a temple structure in the center of the city. The buildings also contain artistic works and large bas-reliefs, depicting a variety of scenes ranging from apparently religious stories to historical events. These contain writing in an unknown language containing elements of Old Arabic, and most of them are concentrated in the temple structure. The subterranean floors are dominated by extensive, complex machinery, ranging from antiquated clockwork systems to vacuum tubes to power generators extremely similar to modern nuclear reactors. All of the machinery is non-functional, however, and appears to be in a state of advanced disrepair. There are no living organisms within the city, but there are a number of automata, or robots, led by one of them that has identified the city as being the origin of the myth of Iram of the Pillars, but its proper name is Amani-Ram. Iram is referenced in the Quran, quoted as... Iram, who had lofty pillars, the likes of whom had never been created in the lands. It was referenced as a culture subject to divine retribution by God for their oppression of others. Many theories have been offered on the identity or location of the group or city identified as Iram, but nothing has ever been confirmed by the wider historical community. A money rom first came to the Foundation's attention in 1983, after the containment of SCP-1867, the beloved explorer and naturalist Lord Theodore Thomas Blackwood. Some of his journals recovered from his private vault detail his experiences with the French Armée d'Orient during their campaign into the Middle East in 1801. 
One journal partially dictated an encounter he had with a vast, ruined city, accessible only to those who knew its location, which is a tale I've read elsewhere on this channel. An interview was conducted with Blackwood for further information. Blackwood is interviewed by a female doctor, and he begins by saying that it's heartening to see someone of the gentler sex in such an academic position, and that it warms the cockles of his heart. The doctor quickly moves on, telling him that she wants to discuss the journal titled Lord Blackwood in the First Cities of Man. Blackwood recalls it, but isn't sure why there'd be questions, as he remembers being very thorough. Unfortunately, water damage has left most of it illegible. He remembers that the whole adventure was initiated by a gift given to him from Jacques Brazot of Le Estate Noir. The gift was a set of six clay tablets, remarkably preserved for their age, that had been recovered by agents of the French crown from an ancient shipwreck in the Aegean Sea. The tablets detail the existence of three empires spanning Asia, thousands of years old, and more powerful and advanced than any culture since, even our own. They also detailed the Empire's nigh-apocalyptic war. Blackwood had been skeptical upon first reading them, but the tablets addressed the lack of evidence left behind by claiming that these empires were advanced occultists, magicians, and magic users. They hid their cities from their enemies, so of course mundane scholars have found nothing. Blackwood, of course, isn't exactly mundane, and he managed to tag along with Brazot and General Bonaparte on his campaign into Egypt. The tablets claim that Amani Ram was hidden after the other empires allied to attack it, as it was a superior center of knowledge and weaponry, so only those who knew its location could enter. The location happened to be recorded on the tablets, so after three days in the desert, they found it, comparing it to passing into a bubble, with towers becoming visible over the horizon. The towers were great buildings fashioned of metal, easily hundreds of meters tall, and a bronze glow set them alight from the sun overhead. There must have been a dozen of them, with smaller but still grand buildings of marble, stone, and clay resting between them. He says it was a grand sight altogether, and the city must have been able to hold hundreds of thousands of people. They explored only a tiny fraction of the surface portion, but he would guess that the subterranean portion was even bigger than the surface. The underground rapidly transitioned from grand hollows and caverns to a winding, labyrinthine tunnel system, with metal pipes, doors, and still machinery all throughout. They didn't find any entities inside of the city, although his men repeatedly claimed that they heard something skittering about but he dismissed it as wildlife. They did find entire sections of tunnels to be impassable due to growths of a strange black vine as thick as a man, winding and knotting entire passageways. The vines appeared to be petrified, and there were also bulbous sacks sticking to the walls and ceilings of many buildings, both above and underground and after Blackwood poked one with a sword, it leaked and spewed out an impossibly emaciated man with skin burnt away by acid. Blackwood concludes by saying that throughout their time there, the city has a very specific feeling, like walking into a graveyard. Thanks to Blackwood, the Foundation was able to recover the six tablets, with translations ongoing due to the extremely specific dialect of ancient Greek used. One of his journal pages, however, contains a translation of the front of the first tablet. It reads, In the beginning there were three. A thousand years before, before man learned of Olympus, before the extinction of the giants, before the sea had full regressed, there were three. Three great cities dividing the world tripartite. Mamjul and Korar, two dark fortresses resting in the jungles of the subcontinent. 
The magicians and sorcerer nawabs allied themselves against the horrors of the jungle and crossed a pact with something ancient. The covenant of the deva was born, using the first magic gifted to man, the magic of life and death. Aditum, a city thrown into rebellion by a charismatic slave-turned-lay preacher who promised wealth, freedom, and power to those that would help him. Together they threw off their yokes, slaughtered their oppressors with their new sorcery, and rebuilt their collapsed city, all under the name of the Grand Karsist Ion. The Nalka Empire freed the second magic, Carnomancy, the magic of flesh. Amani Ram, first great Ram of the Mechanite Empire, as it spread like a wildfire from the deserts. A gleaming, shining metropolis rising out of the dunes. A center of knowledge, science, understanding that the world had never seen. The magic of machines became known. The fervor for a new god that sought to uplift men, not subjugate them. A thousand years before, the three great nations of men fought a war that destroyed the world. The tablets go on to clarify that Amani Ram was ruled by a theocratic cult in the area, referred to as the Mechanite cult, or the cult of the broken god. No other evidence for this group had been discovered thus far. An MTF, Sigma Three Magellan Men, was sent in to investigate the reality bubble and gain access to the city, if possible. They set their helicopters down a distance from the coordinates and began walking towards the location. As they closed in, they began to spread out to try and locate the bubble, but after several minutes were unsuccessful. Suddenly, one of the team's biometrics disappears, and it turns out that they had entered the reality bubble without realizing. The rest of the team enters, maintaining radio contact on the other side. Several hundred meters ahead of them is a massive glass and metal city, with skyscrapers hundreds of meters tall. The team briefly comments on the city's beauty before progressing in. They note that the larger skyscrapers are made of a bronze-colored metal and polished glass, while the smaller buildings seem to be constructed from a blend of limestone bricks and concrete. They all exhibit an architectural style reminiscent of Islamic and Moroccan architecture, with the streets appearing to have designated sections for pedestrians and larger traffic. The team discusses this, commenting that possibly the inhabitants had some sort of anomalous cars. All of the homes are fully furnished, and look as if everyone got up and left partway through dinner. One of the team hears something like a rat, but none of the others do, so they continue on. They find some large stairways leading underground, but decide not to travel down there without the mole rat's MTF present. Eventually, they come to a heavily deteriorated section of the city, with entire sections of buildings having exploded and left to the elements. Here they find a deep hole in the ground, with a large pile of skeletons at the bottom. The team leader surmises that this was a mass grave, and they see one of the vines that Lord Blackwood mentioned at the bottom. They decide not to go down for a sample, as there are likely others elsewhere. Continuing on, they find many more similar mass graves, and they come up to the temple complex in the center of the city. The team comments on the grandeur of the location, despite it being only a few stories high, and they proceed to enter. The interior is an open-air courtyard, with a central 30-meter statue of a man sitting on a throne. The man's face is obscured by an intricate mask, and his robes fall away to reveal a torso made of metal plating. They continue on into a central court area, featuring an oversized throne, inset with gears and swords on the opposite end. 
The interior of the place is vast, and the team spends an hour exploring its various staterooms, kitchens, and bathrooms. The team decides that it's getting late and they should leave, but one of the members turns to the wall and tells something that it's okay for it to come out, as they won't hurt it. A metallic skittering is heard coming from the pipes along the wall, causing the rest of the team to draw their sidearms. A metallic automaton, resembling a horseshoe crab, then gingerly peeks out of a hole in a pipe, slowly approaching and climbing onto the member's outstretched arm. Command tells the team that it doesn't seem to be dangerous, so they shouldn't shoot it, but don't let their guard down. The team lead is about to say that at least there's only one of them, but then a louder skittering sound becomes audible as a great number of automatons varying in shape start peering out from various pipes. The team quickly left the city and were not pursued by any entities. On their way out, they noted many automata milling about the city and traversing through the city's pipe system. They expressed no hostility, and several approached to investigate, although none followed past the borders of the city. The O5 Council decided to establish a long-term research outpost inside of the city, after several expeditions proved that the mechanical entities were not hostile to humans. Forty-three researchers were flown in from various sites and departments, primarily specializing in archaeology, history, both mundane and anomalous, and paratechnology, along with a 15-man tactical response team. Since augmented personnel were relatively common with the Foundation at this time, individuals with complex prosthetics, bionics, and implants were favored due to the unexplained connection these augments have with the city. Two co-leads were selected for the project, Dr. Robert Aram and Dr. Hedvig Nussbaum. Aram is a senior researcher in the paratechnology department and special consultant on anomalous robotics, with a PhD in Thaw Mechatronics. He was previously consulting on anomalous technology recovered from Prometheus Labs, after being a former employee of the company that left over a salary dispute. He distinguished himself after being recruited by the Foundation with superior, prodigal knowledge and skill in handling paratechnology. He has also had his left arm and leg amputated following a laboratory accident at Prometheus, which had been replaced with high-quality anomalous prosthetics. Nussbaum is a researcher with the Parahistory Division, and a special consultant on anomalous cults and cultures, with a PhD in archaeology. Her previous assignment was cataloging anomalous objects recovered in the possession of Lord Blackwood. She was recruited to the Foundation straight out of graduate school, eventually becoming a full researcher after discovering a complex of anomalous ruins in sub-Saharan Africa. She possesses a non-invasive ocular implant that allows for hands-free visual communication and overlay, as well as general access to Foundation databases. The temple complex in the center of the city was used as the base for the research center, and the mechanical entities were initially intrigued by the new arrivals before losing interest shortly thereafter. The researchers were divided into two groups, an engineering team led by Dr. Aram to investigate the technology of the city and the mechanical entities, and an anthropological team led by Dr. Nussbaum to investigate the history, culture, and ultimate fate of the Mechanite Empire. A general directive was given to the entire team to avoid the subterranean portions of the city until a detachment from the Mole Rats could arrive to map it out. Both Drs. Aram and Nussbaum submit some general statements on the progress of their research. Aram's reads, I've encountered many strange, unique things over my career at Prometheus and the Foundation but I can firmly state that I've never seen anything quite as magical as a money rom. 
So far, we've only been able to investigate the machinery on the surface city. I'm told the real treasure is under the streets, but obviously we can't explore that right now. Which appears to be largely concentrated in the upper floors of the skyscrapers, though I think calling them skyscrapers is an understatement. Each is about 500 meters, a little taller than Sears Tower. A marvel of engineering in and of itself, but not an obviously anomalous one. What they contain, however, is a different story. For my layman's perspective, they appear to be combination residential, office, and bureaucratic buildings. Each floor seems to consign itself to one of those three types and contains appropriate pieces of technology. Most are too degraded to be useful, but the fact that they're there at all after thousands of years is incredible. I can discern the purposes of about a quarter of them, though. They're all anomalous to some extent. The drones are writing up detailed reports now, but they variously break laws of thermodynamics, physics, and matter conservation, and often simply use magic to do things as mundane as copy documents or keep food hot or cold. And of course, the automata. Little machines made of a golden metal and built to resemble animals that this culture in the middle of the desert could have no possible way of knowing about. Definitely sentient, possibly sapient, fully mechanical. I found a broken open one on the street and took it as a sample, picture attached. But demonstrating what looks to me like primitive artificial intelligence. There must be hundreds of them, at least. My guess is that they were designed to maintain the city, and for the millennia it's lain abandoned, they've been doing exactly that. They're pretty cute, to be honest. Whatever this civilization was, the Anomalous was so pedestrian to them, they were using paratechnology we even now barely understand as household appliances and servants. They were playing with nuclear reactors while the rest of us huddled in caves behind the fire. If this is any indicator of what lies below the streets, a money rom might be the key to pushing humanity into the future. Nussbaum's report reads, I have to continually pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. A vast city, undocumented by anyone else in the modern era, hiding a culture that had blended advanced magic and technology to settle half of Asia, while the Egyptians had yet to settle the Nile. If the evidence wasn't surrounding me, I'd call myself a liar. We've already discovered much. Some of the researchers are more interested in investigating the individual houses and homes to see what an average citizen lived like. Completely understandable. That said, I'm far more intrigued by this cult of Mekane that seems to pervade every aspect of a money ram. In the ruins of Sumer and other ancient cities, religious iconography is common. Here, it's ubiquitous. The palace temple is the most obvious example of this, with mechanical bas-reliefs that seem to tell a creation myth laid throughout. The buildings, houses, shops, skyscrapers, even the machinery Robert's team is disassembling have this religious significance about them. It's especially fascinating since practically nothing else is known to us about the religion or culture of these mechanites beyond the admittedly questionable statements of Lord Blackwood. Even the name mechanite is a Greek epithet used in the Aegean tablets, derivative of Mechane, machine. As it stands, their culture is a black box, and even with the murals and writings, I doubt we will ever have more than a passing understanding of this once great civilization and what happened to them. Obviously, we know plenty about the Mechanites and the Church of the Broken God, but keep in mind that this is a different canon, where this is the first the Foundation has ever heard of them. 
The detachment of the Mole Rats does eventually arrive in the city, and prepares to make their descent into the subterranean portions, equipped with devices that use high frequency echoing sound waves to construct maps of subterranean areas. They descend down some fancy looking stairs, possibly made of marble, indicating that they're likely not entering an industrial area. At the bottom of the stairs, 25 meters below ground, they enter into a stone corridor, with pipes running in every direction. The corridor is wide enough to comfortably fit all of them, and they note that there's some non-functional lights on the walls. Eventually they enter into some sort of foundry, a huge room with lots of big machinery and assembly lines. Most of the machinery looks trashed, though, so they take some photos and continue on down a descending corridor. The air quality begins to grow worse, and the mole rats suggest gas masks if anyone is going to be heading down here. They're interrupted by a noise coming from the pipes, and the team lead tells them to take their safeties off, as they don't trust those crab things. They continue into a workshop of some sort with desks and what looks like what was once paper. They pass through a number of similar looking rooms and storage closets before passing into a hallway made of metallic pipes. Suddenly, one of the team exclaims in pain and says that their implant is acting wonky. Another member says that the same thing is happening to theirs, and they had asked the researchers about it, who said that the city has some sort of weird relationship with tech, and they're working on figuring it out. Part of the corridor then collapses, nearly causing one of the team to slip and fall. The section falls into the abyss below, landing with a splash. They tell Command that they've discovered the sewers, and complain about the stench. It seems that the underground was for maintenance of the city, but it hasn't aged as well as the above-ground portions. The team proceeds to continue to explore for the next hour, mapping out the underground, finally coming across an area overgrown with black vines. One of the team goes to take a sample, but at his touch, the entire vine crumbles into a fine black dust. They then see, pinned against the concrete by the vines, is a human skeleton, with several vines jutting through the ribs and into the concrete. After that, they find a pod, roughly a square meter in size, sitting on a stalk. One of the team gives it a jab with his rifle, causing it to rupture and leak out a foul-smelling black liquid that dissolves the vine it comes into contact with. A highly decomposed corpse rolls out, just as it did with Lord Blackwood. Continuing on, they find more victims pinned to the walls, and more mass graves. One of the team notes that the walls are all covering machinery, as they can see parts through the cracks in the metal. It's possible that the entire Undercity is a machine. They are then interrupted by another clanging sound throughout the pipe system, but this one is considerably closer. They raise their firearms, and a few seconds later, a machine shaped like a small monkey emerges from the pipes, moving past the team. At the corner of the corridor, it turns to look at them. They decide that it must want them to follow it, so they do so. They follow it for 35 minutes as it leads them deeper underground and through the facility, over large abysses and through rooms of large, complex machinery and displays. Eventually, it stops as they enter a cavernous room containing a single large object at its far end, with their location marked as being directly under the temple complex in the center of the city. The object is a massive block of metal, covered in gears, displays, circuitry, and vacuum tubes, extending throughout the room to more machinery arranged along the walls. At the front of this block is a vaguely humanoid figure, jutting outwards, hanging like a figurehead. A human head, 
arm and upper chest are placed on a mostly mechanical frame, and it looks upward as the team approaches with their guns raised. It opens its mouth, and a stilted, feminine voice with a digital edge booms out. The voice says that they have entered the Gate of the West, Aditum's answer, the great and holy city of Amani-Ram. It welcomes them, and says that there is much to discuss. Further questions from the team were either rebuffed or met with nonsensical statements, with it repeatedly expressing the desire to speak with the scholars, which they interpreted to mean Drs. Aram and Nussbaum. They spent the following hours mapping a path back to the surface, and after returning, researchers used the collected data to construct a 3D rendering of a significant portion of Amani Ram's Undercity. The Mole Rats declared that the Undercity was largely safe for exploration, barring particularly heavily corroded passages and areas infested by the vines and pods. Subsequent analysis of the pods determined that their exterior skin is an organic but calcified substance similar to flesh. Both Aram and Nussbaum agreed to conduct an interview with the entity underground, and they were escorted by a team of tactical response officers the following day. As they enter the chamber and find the figure hanging limply from the wall, Aram's first question is if it's alive. The entity's head twitches upwards and says, no, and then welcomes them. His second question is what it is, to which it responds that it is, it was, and it remains, and then asks them what they are. Nussbaum says that they are scholars, here to investigate the city and its history. This causes the entity's head to go limp once again, followed by a flurry of mechanical activity in the wall behind it before it raises its head again. It then tells them that the grand, great city of Amani-Ram is home to four academies, sixteen schools, and scores of scholars and learned men, discovering, working, and blending the gifts of God. It asks what gives them the right to call themselves scholars. Nussbaum responds that anyone who seeks knowledge can call themselves a scholar and they haven't seen anyone else since they've arrived. The entity reveals that it knows exactly when they arrived, as it has been observing them thanks to the automata around the city, which are scholars, servants, soldiers, and everything else. It has subsequently learned their language from observing the Foundation troops. It accuses them of coming to conquer the city, but Nussbaum assures it that That is not the case. The entity says that they walk in here with guards, and only generals, kings, and priests require guards. Since they claim to not be generals, they must be a king and queen. Aram asks why they couldn't be priests, but the entity says that it is a priest, and it can smell that they have no shred of God in their hearts. Aram then says that yes, he supposes that they are the leaders of their people. The entity then formally welcomes them to the second spire, white city of the broken empire, finger of Mekane, the Fulad throne, the great and holy city of Amani-Ram. Nussbaum asks it to explain what exactly all that means, and the entity asks how long they have been unaware of the city's history. She says that she's not sure, but thousands of years at the minimum, and they didn't think anyone would still be alive. The entity goes limp again for a moment before stating that it is not alive, but it is the kiss of God, shining steel and fulad, made in Mekane's image, and they are everything it is not. It then suddenly asks to see Aram's prosthetic arm, sending one of the small automatons to examine it. Afterwards, it says that Amani-Ram was a city of science and blessing. 
McCain's gift to them that allowed them to construct wonderful things. Every man, woman, and child were given augmentations like Aram's arm to become something better than human. Aram tells it that the vast majority of the personnel here have some form of augment. The entity says that they are allowed entry to the city, and it will assist them in recording their history and its creations, so as to make sure they are not forgotten. It has not been repaired in many revolutions, leaving gaps in its memory, but the temple contains an inexorable record of the city's godly creation, and it will translate it for them. Nussbaum thanks it, and says that they are in its debt, but the entity responds that a fair bargain has been struck, with it showing them the history of the city, and them preserving the Mechanite Empire. It then proceeded to give them a number of documents, including a basic translation guide for the city's language, coined Mechanite, to English, with some Greek bywords. They were also given a map of the Undercity, fully annotated, full schematics of various technologies found within the city, and a small mechanical device of unknown function. With all this, the proper study of the city could begin. The temple courtyard contains a number of intricate murals, with Nussbaum believing them to be the Mechanite creation myth. The first shows a scene of three figures wrestling in a dark void, followed by the figures falling to different corners of a slightly inaccurate map of Asia. One of the figures dominates the rest of the scenes, revealed to be a massive but lithe figure dressed in golden armor. A shepherd, his wife, and his three lame sheep happen upon it buried in the sand, obviously wounded. The plaque underneath reads, Before the new pantheon, before the smoke and the singing, the old gods fought their war over nothing. They wounded each other and fell, twisting and writhing to the lowest world. Mekane, blessed be her name, alighted in the far west under the scorching gaze of the sun. She rested in the dunes, uncovered by the flock of a shepherd, Bumaro. The second mural shows the god reaching out and touching the shepherd and his wife, causing the shepherd's missing leg to be replaced with a metal limb, and his shepherd's crook to be replaced with a spear. His wife's eyes glow gold, and large metal wings spring from her back. The sheep are armored over to resemble the automata in the city, and together they attempt to raise the god from the sand. The plaque underneath reads, Mekain drew forth her touch and raised them. Bumaro's lame leg replaced by a grieve. Hadara's sight restored, and all given the form of the angels. Grateful, they sought to raise their new god from her tomb, and they failed. The last mural shows the god digging deeper, lying face down in the sand. It looks up at the shepherd and strips the armor from its massive fist, which the shepherd takes and melts down, reforging it into a suit of armor in the image of the god, and a massive throne. He returns to his village, where the people naturally submit to him. Many of them are disabled and lacking limbs, but when they return to the resting place of the god, all are given mechanical augments. They rejoice and use more of the stripped armor to construct a shining city on the god's back. The plaque underneath reads, She knew that the wound was not mortal, but crippling. She understood her fate, and entrusted her legacy to Bomaro and his blood. He became the first blacksmith, shaping the metal of her body as she shaped life itself. He made himself in her image, and the people were awed. For their faith, they were uplifted beyond the chains of humanity, 
and from her stripped armor they raised the first city on the back of the sleeping goddess, Amani-Ram, city of Fulad, shining gate of the west. Meanwhile, hundreds of pieces of technology were analyzed and investigated by the engineering team, although many were too degraded to be of any practical use. We're provided a handful of descriptions of some of the notable discoveries. The first are four meter poles inset into the ground at various intervals through the streets of Amani-Ram. Each pole is topped with six disc-shaped objects, a meter wide, and when an electrical current is applied to the pole, the discs begin to knock against each other, emitting radio waves of unclear purpose. It's currently theorized to be some sort of conductor system for the city, possibly to create a free, wireless power system. Another set of objects are large, partially subterranean greenhouses, occupying a significant portion of the western district of the city. Underground copper pipes can cool and heat the greenhouses according to valves, and the greenhouses are several floors tall, utilizing novel organization and irrigation techniques. It's likely that a large portion of the city's theorized half a million population could have been fed thanks to these buildings. A third set is a series of magnetically charged rails running through the city in a loop, though all the rail cars have been completely ruined. Applying a specific electrical charge allows rapid, high-speed movement through the city, with it believed to have been a hop-on, hop-off method of mass transit at extraordinarily low overhead. The fourth are small metal shields with two switches on the handle, which, when fully powered, causes either the projection of a rapidly oscillating energy shield or a skin-tight shield that effectively renders the wearer invisible. The fifth are large constructs, with two in every district, inside of which are large machines containing radioactive material. The engineering team is of the opinion that these could have been functional nuclear or possibly cold fusion reactors, supplying electricity to the city's power grid. The sixth is not entirely clear, but the engineering team believes that a significant portion of the Undercity appears to be one gargantuan machine, incorporating both mundane technology and paratechnology. During the process of research and excavation, some of the automata led the archaeological team to a structure in the southern district that appeared to be some sort of library or university. The metal and clay tablets found inside were remarkably well preserved, and in the basement was a large metal safe, rusted off its hinges. Within was a cache of several dozen metal cylinders measuring 10 centimeters in diameter, imprinted with mechanite writing. We're given the translation of one of these, which reads, And the shining eye of the empire rose as Bumaro took his anointed seat on the Fulad throne. A money ram rose from the sands on the back of Mekane, her pieces scattered to the six winds and the five corners of the world. As the slaves marched on Adatum in the east, and the covenants were struck in the south, so too was the holiest and the godliest of magics given freely to man under the watchful eye of the sun. And the sword of Mekane cut a swath through the world, and all those trembled in fear until they saw the light of the Ram, the greatest city of man, gifted by Mekane, but built by the hands of the workers not the demons of the covenant or the flesh slaves. The empire swelled, and the metal road ferried new people, and a money rom swelled from their presence. And the world was good, as Bumara watched from his throne for his reign of centuries. And when his reign ended and his golden body passed, the Empress Hadara wept, and the city of a money rom wept with her, and they rested their hope onto the air. 
and Hashir Bumaro grew into a wise king under the auspices of his family, and gave his arm and his leg for his empire, just as his father had done. And in that way Bumaro lived on, resting in the soul of his son, and his son's son, and so on forevermore. And the Emperor Bumaro used the throne to invoke the wisdom of his past lives, and in that way the empire conquered and slew its way into the world, and it was led into the continent and into the conflict with the other nations of man, bloody and brutal. Devastation After several months of research, another interview was held with the mechanical entity underneath the city to ask some more questions. Aram and Nussbaum are joined by some other researchers, and the entity asks about them, wondering if they are their attendants. Aram says that they are, to simplify things, and the entity says that it will answer their questions. Nussbaum asks for the entity's name first, and it says that they may call it Preserver, as that is its function. One researcher asks about the strange bronze alloy that they keep finding throughout the city, which has proven to be too hard to take samples of. Preserver says that this is the Fulad, a gift from Mekane that they used to forge their swords, their technology, and their very way of life. It is the backbone that the Empire was built on, as it's a sign of favor from God that they were the chosen people. Every citizen was expected to know how to work and melt it, as they were a nation of swordsmen and foundries. The Fulad throne was a throne crafted by Rumaro from the first ingots of the metal, stripped from the armor of Mekane herself. It is holy beyond holiness, divine beyond divinity. Its very presence is a symbol of power, but now it sits empty in the throne room. Preserver says that it will teach them how to work the Fulad, and they should bear it well, as it was among the greatest boons gifted to their culture. They move on to asking about Bumaro, who seems to be a central figure here. Preserver says that Emperor Bumaro was the first mortal man to witness the majesty of the broken god in all her glory. The researchers recall this from the creation myth, but Preserver says that it's not a myth, but history, and Bumaro reigned for centuries, with his bloodline raising the greatest army ever known, all to bring order and justice to the world. They next ask about the other nations of man mentioned in various texts, and if they were related to the fall of the city. Preserver pauses and then simply says that it doesn't know. Sometime later, Aram and Nussbaum had a remote meeting with 0511 to discuss their findings. The meeting takes place utilizing a virtual projection powered by the ley lines of the earth resembling a small asphalt parking lot in what appears to be the American Southwest. Aram says that he helped design it, and it costs a fortune to run, but 0511 says that thanks to the recent improvements that have come out of a money ROM, it now only costs a small fortune to run. Nussbaum says that they're in the process of translating the hundreds of tablets, engravings, and mosaics across the city. The vast majority are simple day-to-day -day affairs, all of which paint the Mechanite culture as a society that was building a metropolis of the future while the glaciers from the Ice Age were still melting. 0511 says that that's all fascinating, but he wonders if they've figured out any of the city's later history, and what exactly caused the downfall of the most technologically advanced culture in the world at the time. He also wants to know more about these other nations mentioned, the Nalka Empire and the Davite Covenant, as they must have been powerful enough to war with the Mechanites, and possibly defeat them. The research hasn't really pointed at much relating to specific locations of their capital cities, 
and they're still not sure how the city died. 0511 guesses that the vines and pods found beneath the city are related, and Nussbaum agrees that that's quite likely. 0511 then asks about Preserver, telling them that it's hiding something from them, and asks how they had artificial intelligence when the Persians were figuring out irrigation. Aram says that that's far from their only breakthrough, and if the Foundation could harness their cold fusion technology, their bionics, their power systems, any one of them could change the world. 0511 isn't so sure, as for all they know, their technology led to their downfall. He is willing to continue to supply Aram and Nussbaum with whatever they need to continue their research, however. When Aram says that they believe they'll need 200 additional personnel, though, 0511 says that that's not quite something he can make happen with a snap of his fingers, but they'll have them within two months. Aram then asks for permission to see if they can't get certain aspects of the city working again, such as the power grid. They think they could get it back online within the month with Preserver's help, and it would help them learn more about the machinery. 0511 hesitates, but grants the permission, telling them to stay safe, as they're working blind here. The additional personnel and requisitions arrived some time later, necessitating the expansion of their research base into another skyscraper in the city's southern district. The disused rail system was brought back online to connect the two sites, which necessitated bringing the power grid and reactors back online, using technical assistance from Preserver and its automatons. The first two reactors that were brought online provided power to the entire western and southern districts of the city, allowing the usage of lighting, air conditioning, and of the rail system. Aram and Nussbaum returned to Preserver afterwards, prompting it to remark that they are repairing its city. It also notes that there are a lot more people here now, settling into the ruins, and they are permitted to do so as they are assisting its city. Nussbaum then asks for some more information about the city's history, asking if it remembers anything about the end of the Empire. It pauses and says that it does not have the answers they seek, as its memory is fragmented. It remembers little more than hazes and flashes, images of sitting at the market and waiting for its mother, playing with other children, and crying as its brother fixed the welds and screws on its leg. Aram surmises that Preserver was not always like this, and was human, but Preserver says that it was better, it was a mechanite. It knows that it was not always in this form, but it doesn't remember who it was and how it came to be like this. It remembers the sky cracking as the walls came down, and the lancemen held back the tide of monstrosities and vegetation so that they could escape to the Undercity. It then says that it can help them find its history, as the Fulad throne is capable of taking special cylinders imprinted with memories and feeding them into the throne's occupant. They've already found some of these cylinders, so all Aram has to do is sit on the throne and have someone plug them in. All that is required is the Fist, an heirloom of the Imperial family that allows them to use the throne. The throne is one of the most mystical and powerful artifacts ever created, so the Fist ensures that only those who were meant to sit on it could use it. Preserver had already given them the Fist, the strange mechanical device that they didn't know what to do with. Preserver gave it to them so that they might learn the city's history and retell it to Preserver. The throne was immediately inspected afterwards, now humming with power thanks to the power grid being online. A port was found in the left armrest that would fit the cylinders, while the right contained a depressed section molded around the grip of the fist. Nussbaum isn't so sure about letting Aram sit in the throne and plug himself in, 
but Aram trusts Preserver, and they don't have many options if they want to figure out what happened. They activate the throne, causing Aram's eyes to fill with a pale golden light, and his spine arches. He writhes wordlessly in the throne, gasping, and exclaims that he can see it. Nussbaum begins to call for them to shut down the power, but Aram shouts that he can handle it, as he continues to writhe before abruptly ceasing. He says that it's beautiful. He is standing on the palace balcony facing the eastern district as the sun is rising. He can see all of the buildings, although there's no skyscrapers, and the city is in perfect condition. The streets are bustling with activity, and all of the people have bionics of some sort. Suddenly he sees himself sitting in some sort of car, surrounded by guards carrying swords and some sort of primitive gun. The window is rolled down, and people are offering things to him. Bread, wine, fruits, and gifts. One is an oil painting of a man, and Aram realizes that it is Bumaro, and he has seen this through Bumaro's eyes. Half of his body is Fulad, and he's speaking in Mechanite, but he can't understand it. They're back in the palace, and he's on the throne, as soldiers and generals pour over a massive map of Asia. There's lines drawn everywhere, and there's three big circles, one in Egypt, one in India, and one on the Chinese coast. All of them are yelling and arguing, but he looks to his right and sees a beautiful woman wearing a golden mask, with an intricate set of golden, metal-feathered wings on her back. There's also a little boy next to her, and he realizes that this is Bumaro's wife and child. He turns back to the generals and nods, speaking in Mechanite, which is later translated as, The Covenant Go Too Far. Prepare the Golden Legion. The light then fades from Aram's eyes, and he slumps over unconscious, as medics are called. He was found to have a slightly elevated blood pressure and heartbeat, but was otherwise fine, expressing a closer interest in the archaeological team's findings in the following days. Another document recovered from the city is translated and provided for us, reading, And the sweep of the Golden Legion took three long centuries of expansion, as the Mechanite Empire's legates established beautiful, harmonious dominion on the oases and villages of the world. And as they expanded, they found relics, artifacts sheared from Mechain during their god's fall from heaven, scattered over the earth, and with each relic carried back to Amani Ram, the fervor of the people grew and grew as their leaders rose, warred, and died for their heirs. And as the legion marched forward over those long centuries, two other nations of man marched. The covenant of the Deva rode forth on their great, horrible spirit beasts, searing a path through the jungle from their twin city of Mamjul Karar. And they used their black magic to open a gap, stepping from one side of the continent to another, and those that went through established another city, Adatum that would after another two centuries fall to its own slaves, branding themselves the Nalka. And all these parties marched into Asia, only vaguely aware of the existence of the other two, until the Battle of Harumar, where they collided. The existence was an affront. The disgusting flesh beasts of the Nalka, an insult to the steel glory of Mekane, and the Covenant's plant spirits choking and infesting the gears and wheels of the Legion. And so the Legion fired the first mortar, shattering the Covenant's ranks, and thus began a war that would end with the destruction of Asia. The first war raged across the continent in every theater. Fleets of golden-hulled warships constructed in a money rom and pushed down river to encounter the Covenant in the bay. 
the Nalka raised an army of the dishonored dead from Aditum and marched them ceaselessly to throw themselves in the front line, choking the vines of the sorcerer Nawabs. There were no laws in war, and there was no honor in death. Every corpse was fodder for future battles. Forests were scorched during retreat to deny the Covenant seed, and the warriors of the Nalka and Covenant chose to throw their weapons in the sea rather than surrender the precious metal to the foundries of the Legion. And the Colossi, great thousand-armed tall Goliaths of steel and bronze and foulad that rent the sky down upon the Nalkan hordes. Every second man was killed in the fighting, and it raged for three hundred years and would have gone on forever until the Abominate landed his ships on the western coast of Ethiopia and began his march to a money run. Devastation. So, as mentioned, this is a completely new canon related to the Church of the Broken God, the Sarkites, and the Davites. Their origins have always involved conflict, but here we're getting an intimate look at exactly how the Mechanites operated and waged war. This is a lot of technology to have simply disappeared over time, and it's clear that Preserver knows a bit more than he's letting on. Despite the relative peace and quiet that the Foundation has experienced so far in a money rom, there's an underlying sense of dread about the dead city. More of the city's secrets and its past will be revealed in part two, so stay tuned.